listening to the Renegade Economist, investigating monopoly profits, great corruption, and the policy solutions demanded. Geeky but essential, the tools to the fairest and most efficient economic system awaited. With your host, Carl Fitzgerald. Listeners, we are very privileged today to be joined by Fred Harrison, the leading Georgist author on the planet. And uh, in the past, he's written books like The Power and the Land, which in 1983 predicted a downturn in 91-92. That was correct. In 1997, The Chaos Makers predicted a downturn in 2007, and that was proved correct. And Fred, in your latest book, We Are Rent, there is a prediction for 2026 to be... uh, a day of reckoning for the global economy, another huge uh, correction forecast. Uh, I I was reading one of the other books you've been involved in, uh, Rent Unmasked, and it might uh, help us come to uh, uh, these conclusions uh, you uh, so beautifully predict, where you said uh, in Rent Unmasked, a book uh, dedicated to uh, Mason Gaffney's teachings, the sterilization of economics as a problem-solving discipline. How has economics been sterilized? Hello, first of all, from London, Carl, and uh, your listeners. The culture that we live in was compromised centuries ago by a group of people who invested in bending our minds. They had to bend our minds in order to effectively steal what is the net income or the rents that people produce uh, in cooperation with each other, which is supposed to be uh, funding the common good, as we call it today. Now, uh, to get away with that theft, or what the economists called rent-seeking, or free riding, they had to distort the way we perceive the world. And one of the major distortions was uh, with the story they tell about the economy. So, for example, the, the narrative that we characterize as capitalism is, is a uh, big lie. It only tells half the story of the reality, and the bit that it does t- talk about is a distortion of the reality. They did this in order to prevent people from fully appreciating what they were doing. The rent seekers were stealing the net income, the extra that we all help to produce to fund our common good, uh, and to prevent us from saying, well, this is just not on and we're taking back the rent, they had to twist the narrative of capitalism so that we collectively effectively forgot about it and in fact endorsed what was going on. And the result is a perverse uh, economics discipline which conceals the full reality of the economic process, which therefore perpetuates the stealing that uh, began in earnest around the 16th century and continues to this day. It certainly does. And that is one of the great tragedies that uh, we have so many tenants of our everyday lives that 
go to reinforce this process of uh, enclosing the earth, of um, locking up uh, the the easiest source of money, uh, and that is those who own land through hereditary um those who own land in prime locations. And here we are on um, Australia Day doing this interview and uh, so many Indigenous people around the world uh, were stolen of their lands and from that uh, their very sovereignty removed from them. It's always refreshing talking to Indigenous people uh, uh, anywhere in the world because the blinkers haven't been applied so tightly. No, uh it's a tragic story. Uh, the colonialism was in part driven by the need to find land to place the surplus population from the United Kingdom and uh, other European countries. Uh, these are the people who were displaced from their traditional commons back in Europe. And in order to survive, they had to migrate to what were called the colonies, where they perpetuated the very deed that was inflicted on them. They forced out the indigenous peoples of, of the Americas and uh, uh, the Antipodes and uh, uh, sustained the crime that originated back home under the influence of uh, the nobility, the aristocracy, who were the land grabbers. Uh, and yes, as victims, they uh, continue to harbor the awareness that has been effectively expunged from the collective consciousness of the Europeans. Look, the, the need to suppress the terrible deed that was done back in Europe was necessary in order to live with yourself. So we now have been co-opted into believing that this is the best of all worlds, the, the capitalist narrative, because it's too painful to think back to what was done to our ancestors. And in the process, we have to deny that we did it to the indigenous peoples who were displaced from their lands in uh, continents like Australia. And uh, we won't get back to anything like a humane social system until we come to terms with that terrible narrative. And uh, that's what I'm beginning uh, to try and do with my current work that you refer to, hashtag we are rent. Having uh, read through the first chapters, uh, it really is one of those books where you look at nearly every paragraph and go, that's it, that's what's wrong. And, and through it, you, you're busily taking notes. And from this writing, uh, Fred, what really interests me is that a lot of our work is in the finer details of public policy, looking at where the incentives are for property speculation, for monopolists to, to take these easy uh, winnings. But uh, since your 2012 book, The Traumatised Society, you've certainly gone another level deeper and looking at the anthropological uh, background to our sovereignty, our survival, and the sovereignty that's been taken away because we can't access the land uh, at the sort of um, prices that uh, our wages can justify anymore. Uh, so much of uh, this earth has been pushed beyond what everyday people can afford. 
What implications uh, has that had for society? And can you take us through this anthropological study, this case you've been building over the last decade or so? The attempt to restore justice has been going on for at least 150 years since a book by Henry George was published called Progress and Poverty. And the advocates of uh, the restitution of justice in relation to uh, the net income or the rents that we all help to produce, the rent of land as it's called, uh, has, has essentially failed. It's failed because we've used the language of economics to try and persuade the lawmakers to change the, the rules of the financial game. We've argued that uh, it's only fair and efficient that we change the tax regime so that we don't tax people who work and instead we collect the revenue to fund our public services out of the rent of land. Well, that hasn't worked. Yes, it's true that uh, this, this land value tax, as it's called, it's true that uh, the land value tax, as it's called, has been instituted in uh, the past 150 years uh, in countries like Australia, New Zealand, Taiwan, South Africa. But all those examples were cases where the settlers had no choice but to introduce the system of collecting revenue directly from the rent of land. The only exception to that history where the introduction of the land tax was under duress was Denmark. That was the one exception uh, in, the, in the past 150 years where the people voluntarily, not under duress, decided to incorporate into their system of government a land value tax. Now, since the institution of the land tax in all those, essentially the colonies in the last, well, 100 years ago, uh, the proportion drawn from rent has been reduced under the free riding or rent-seeking motive, seeking to concentrate uh, the ownership of rent in fewer and fewer hands. So those of us who've been trying to argue for a fair financial deal have failed because we've relied on the language that we've been given by uh, what is called capitalism, and we failed. So what I've been trying to do is change the narrative, change the basis on which we can advocate the need to restore uh, justice in our social systems. And as I dug deeper, I realized that the nature of rent was far more significant than just that it delivered fairness and efficiency in the way we govern ourselves. What I came to realize was that the very essence of humanity is rent. Our species could not have evolved out of nature but for the fact that early on, like a couple of million years ago, one of the branches of the primate species started to produce this extra flow of resources, which they invested in themselves, literally, genetically, it, uh, invested it in the way they 
their minds worked, their bodies, uh, their posture, and so on, uh, and the way they socialized with each other, this flow of resources was the basis of that development. In other words, we are, literally speaking, rent. Uh, that, that was a phenomenal way of viewing the evolutionary process as it related to human beings. If that thesis is correct, and frankly, I can't see any other way of looking at it, then we've transformed the way that we can present the case for restoring rent to its uh, traditional use, which is for the common good. Because for so long as rent is privatized, it's literally handing over ourselves in the form of rent to people who claim to own it. Now, look, the irony is this. Back in the 1830s in the United Kingdom, people thought they abolished slavery. And the Americans thought they fought a civil war to abolish slavery. And yet, in uh, the West, we continue to privatize the essence of our humanity. Those of us who claim to own land and therefore claim the rents produced in our societies are actually enacting the role of slavery. We are appropriating other people's humanity. Now, if we look at it in those terms, the case for restoring rent to public ownership or the common good is transformed. We're now challenging people to view the restoration of rent as the public's revenue, not in terms just of the clinical benefits of it's efficient in the economy, but now we're saying we have to restore our humanity. Uh, we have to stop appropriating other people's humanity. We need to restore our humanity to its status as it evolved over the course of literally two million years. This alters the basis of the discussion. Now we are talking about the moral case in a way that is unanswerable. What I found over the past 50 years that I've been making this case out, that is the economic case, the politicians who sit and listen say, oh, well, it sounds like a fair system for paying public services, but look, people won't accept it. So I'm not going to argue for it in our parliaments. And, and they were correct, of course. It's the homeowner who is now the person who most resists the idea for the very reason that they are in the role of landowner. And I'm one of them. We see the value of our properties going up over the course of the business cycle. We enjoy the capital gains. We celebrate that enrichment. And of course, we don't want to give it up. Uh, we're not. We wouldn't actually be giving it up. We would be swapping it for an alternative form of enrichment, of course. But uh, people don't want to come to terms with that reality, so they just close their minds to it, uh, which is what the original aristocrats intended when they skewed the way we perceive our world. Uh, 
a, a perception that evolved into what is called capitalism, which misrepresents rea- the reality that we all live. And so now uh, the case is placed uh, at, at a moral level where we have to say to people, if you resist this change, you are actually resisting um, a situation in which we could save people from dying. You know, here in Europe, something like 50,000 people die prematurely because of the level of uh, pollution in the atmosphere. That's the minimum number, dying every year uh, uh, unnecessarily because the financial system so distorts the way that we use our resources that we pollute the heavens and we kill people. And it's the same in the UK. It's been estimated that something like 50,000 people die unnecessarily every year because of the stresses that are imposed by the tax regime. Well, if we put our case in terms of saving lives other than, oh, it's just fair and efficient to collect the rent, then we create a moral dilemma for the homeowner like me who prefers to close our minds to the reality. But when it comes to recognizing that people are dying because of this tax regime, uh, it's, it's more difficult to shake it off. Listeners, you're on 3CR's Renegade Economist, and this month we're in discussion with Fred Harrison from the Land Research Trust, author of the brand new book, We Are Rent. And Fred, uh, let's just uh, reiterate this important concept of rent because you do have a beautiful way of summing it up. It's uh, the surplus of the community's cooperative activities. Now, when we discuss rent, we're really talking about economic rent, not the rent that uh, you pay on the house, but this is a rent that comes about because of our cooperative activities. Fred, uh, yeah, just reiterate for the listener how um, uh, this plays out in their lives and how uh, uh, these various filters are being placed on society so that the homeowner now becomes uh, the biggest defender of the 1% and their, their free riding on society. Well, we all go to work uh, and we, we're used to paying taxes out of our wages, which we don't like, but we've become used to the idea. And so begrudgingly, we pay these taxes. The reality uh, is that when we go to work, we produce two kinds, two streams of income. One is the wages that we need to sustain ourselves and our families. And the other stream of revenue that we create is that net income, that additional income. I don't like to call it a surplus income because it is not surplus. It's a flow of revenue that is dedicated to sustaining our humanity. Uh, It's a flow that's been going on for a million years. As I said earlier, uh, the earliest 
humans, our earliest ancestors, learned to generate this additional flow of resources to invest in themselves, literally their genetics, their psychology, their spirituality, uh, and their community. It, it, it's this extra flow of resources that made these things, made our humanity possible. Now, uh, if we sustained that flow of revenue, then we would uh, sustain the evolutionary pathway on which our ancestors launched themselves when they came out of nature. Now, under our current system, though, instead of maintaining that extra flow of revenue to be pooled in the public purse for the common good, we've allowed that revenue to be stolen. And so now the government taxes our wages. We need to rebalance the way that income is distributed. We need a flow of personal resources, the wages, which should not be taxed at all, uh, and then pool the rents that we can afford, which we produce in cooperation with each other, which would pay for all the public services that we need. So it's the fact that those resources are dedicated to the common good, which means that it's not a surplus revenue. It is a dedicated flow of income, which we all, through partnership with each other, through society, help to create, which is why uh, it should be pooled through the public purse to be spent on all those services that serve our humanity, whether it's the highways or funding the legal system or paying for public schools and hospitals, all of those things serve the common good. And it's that net income, that flow of revenue over and above what we need to support our families, pay for our shelter and so on, uh, which should be separated automatically, voluntarily, by each of us as individuals, recognizing that it goes towards our personal well-being in communion with everybody else. Because if it is privatized, this rent flow, uh, you write that it becomes an anti-evolutionary force. And whilst you pointed out uh, the cost of uh, not uh, taxing away uh, CO2 emissions, for example, uh, how about the cost of poverty and entrenched poverty? How many lives do we lose from that? We're talking about a phenomenal death rate uh, just by this perverse system of uh, taxation that we have. And it's, it's that narrative that we need to turn to in order to change the terms of debate for so long as we stick with the story that land value taxation is fair and efficient, people are going to be able to close their minds to it. But if we talk in terms of the numbers of people who are dying through the deprivation that um, is caused by this perverse system of uh, funding our public services, for so long as we don't talk about those things, people will stay in the state of denial. Uh, so, for instance, take the case of uh, President Biden in America. 
he thinks that because he's appointed a lot of um, people to head uh, federal agencies who come from uh, the minority uh, communities, the African-American communities, for example, and because he's got a vice president who is uh, a lady of color, uh, from the uh, parents who from the Indian subcontinent and the Caribbean, that somehow that's going to make a difference for the exploitation of minority groups in America. Well, it isn't. These people are symbols of an uh, injustice in society, but and not until they actually realign the financial system in the way that we've been talking about, will we be able to give justice to people who are being deprived, not just of material resources, but of their lives. Their lives are cut short, literally, by a dozen or more years by the stresses that are created by this unfair social and economic system. So we need to shift uh, the way the pricing system works, both in the public and the private sectors, in order to restore the justice that people are entitled to so that they can live their full lives without being compromised arbitrarily through the misappropriation of that flow of revenue, the rents, as we call them, the economic rents, which belong to all of us. And if if we do that, we then end up without having to pay taxes on our earned incomes and we all live very secure, happy lives as a consequence. And that's the only route back to restoring our full humanity. Because while rent is being privatized, we are debasing, we are depleting the very things that we call humanity, our spirituality, our morality, our sociability, all these things are ruptured and degraded because they're not being renewed by the reinvestment of the rents that we're producing because the rents are being diverted away to uh, a few private owners. And that, that is the uh, abysmal situation that we face and it's intolerable and we must change it. At the depths of our post-GFC correction in mid-2012, Australian land values were worth some $3.8 trillion. And just eight years later, uh, they topped $6.2 trillion. So uh, there's a massive increase there in terms of uh, land value or form of economic rent. So, uh, Fred, what does that say about the modern democracy and where we're sitting uh, if we can have such a big correction as the GFC and, uh, yeah, barely a decade later, uh, we've almost doubled the problems in terms of uh, the amount of money people are having to borrow to, uh, to, to get a foot in the door to this property-owning democracy we supposedly live under? Well, in book two of Hashtag We Are Rent, I will be addressing the issue of what is an authentic democracy. Our present system of democracy is not authentic. We think that because we all are entitled to vote that somehow this is democracy. Well, it isn't. As I said earlier, we live in a form of slavery and we're all participating in it very happily. 
Uh, and the only when we uh, restore equality to the financial system, it's only by recognizing that we have personal obligations to pay our, the rents that we help to produce into the public purse that we will be able to claim that we have an authentic kind of democracy. Because at the present time, the public purse is used uh, to manipulate us, to discriminate against us, to cause some of us to die prematurely, losing up to like a dozen years of life. Uh, and that cannot be characterized as a dem democracy. So uh, we need to look forward to creating an authentic kind of democracy. And the definition of that authenticity is when we all happily, voluntarily, with clear consciences, contribute to uh, the public purse by paying in the rents that we all help to produce. So in terms of the language you're using, uh, fairness, efficiency, that sort of a rational mantra, you're preferring now to look at the, the hard cost to, to life on earth uh, from this unjust taxation system. How does that fit in this modern world of uh, uh, positive narratives trying to inspire people towards change? Coming out of the uh, COVID-19 pandemic, a lot of people are now recognizing that we do need to change something about the system. They, they call it build back better. Well, that's not going to happen if we continue to use the old language, which includes the language that people like me have been using, land value taxation is fair and efficient, because it doesn't resonate with people's innermost feelings. Th those feelings have been suppressed by the uh, habits that have been installed into us by the rent seekers, the people who've been stealing the rent. And the only way to overcome that, the only cathartic process that we can apply in order to restore our humanity is to go back to the essence of what it means to be human. Uh, and that needs a different kind of narrative, which is what I'm now seeking to develop in the hope that it resonates with people in the way that the old language, the language of fairness and efficiency in economics, has failed to do over the past 100 years. So in conclusion, Fred, I wish we had uh, longer to discuss. We're just getting stuck into this. You have um, three theses in the third uh, thesis, you're saying that the victory of rent seekers of old is ferric. Their culture has morphed into its cannibalistic phase and has corroded the living tissue of humanity. Um, what hope does that sort of uh, statement give us with this knowledge about the fact that we are rent? There needs to be a moral renewal. Uh, and yes, it's difficult to visualize how that can be brought about, except that we face terrible events coming up very soon. You referred earlier to my prediction that the end of the current house price cycle is in 2026. My view is that once that sets in, governments will be struck by paralysis. They won't know how to handle it because we're already so deep in debt 
in both personally and our governments, that the scope for remedial action will be very limited. And that economic crisis will then drag in all the other existential threats to uh, our systems, the military one, the demographic one, like the migration out of Africa into Europe and from the southern countries into the United States, and the environmental crisis, all these things will converge on a single point in time straight after the next economic crash. And that will be a cataclysm. And one can only hope that if we prepare the ground in the meantime so that people can understand what is really going on, the events that are looming within the next decade will prompt enough people to say, right, enough's enough. We have got to restore our humanity. And in practical terms, that's a very simple uh, process. We just rejig the financial system. And that empowers all of us to re-engage as human beings at the spiritual, the, the moral, the social, as well as the economic levels, so that we start behaving as decent human beings uh, in the way that the evolutionary blueprint, which I set out in my book, describes. So uh, the cannibalistic phase, which we're now going through, will be overcome uh, if uh, under the duress of the existential crises that are going to converge on a single point in time uh, prompts us to start behaving properly. Well, Fred Harrison from sharetherents.org and wearerent.org. Thanks very much for joining us here on the 591st edition of The Renegade Economist. Thank you, Carl, and uh, best wishes to everybody in Australia.